recently I had the opportunity to change two light fixtures in my home. The first one was fairly easy to do, but when I went to the second one in my garage, I think it was a fixture that was original with the house. You can see the picture on your screen now. Uh, from 1950, I'm sure that light fixture um, was, was there, and it was easy enough to pull the light fixture off, but once I looked a little closer to the, the wiring, as you can see in the second picture, it was a mess of tangled things, and much of it I did not know what it was. I even saw what looked like char marks, which I don't know a lot about electricity, but you definitely don't want to see charring and uh, places where burning has uh, uh, been before. And so uh, looking at that, I thought, I don't know which wire is which and how to connect it to my new light fixture, but I had a solution. You know what I did? I actually called up my brother-in-law. Why would I call my brother-in-law? It's because he's an electrician, and he's an expert on such matters. And so I took the pictures uh, that are on your screen or have been, and I, I sent them to him, and I asked him, I said, Chris, can you help me? And I don't know what I'm doing. And he said, my goodness, what is that? And I said, I don't have any idea, but can you help me? And so, and he did, and I wired it up, and I kind of took a big, deep breath and covered my eyes when I reached out to flip the switch on, hoping it would work and not burn the house down. And I'm thankful today that my house still stands and the new light fixture works completely. I am so delighted. What uh, I was so uh, pleased to know is that uh, I had an expert that I could call on and learn from. He could guide me through the steps needed when I was stuck. And I will never be as good of an electrician as my brother-in-law, Chris. But I have certainly grown in my confidence of doing such things in the future and in my capability of doing that. Now, I'll be able to do it whenever the opportunity presents itself in the future. Learning from an expert is exactly what I want us to think about today, and that is our focus, learning uh, about the, the focus of our lives, learning from Jesus as he is the expert of our living. But there's one particular area of expertise that we're going to look at today, and it's how he interacted with other people. How is it that Jesus had conversations with people to talk to them about the gift of of God? How is it that Jesus himself went about connecting with people about the good news of God? And what it is, is his calling for you and me. I invite you now to hear as grace comes and reads from John chapter 4, verses 3 to 42 for you now. Let's listen. Thank you, Grace. In this passage, John chapter 4, one of my favorite passages in all of the scripture, because every time I read it, I am so reminded of the wonderful grace and mercy and gift of love that Jesus has given and offers to you and to me. Offered to that woman, the way he pulled her out of her brokenness, the way he gave her a new hope, the way he guided her into a new future, the way he healed her, the way that she went back to her community with unbridled enthusiasm. I love, love, love this particular passage of the scripture. There's two really big ideas that are happening, two big themes that are happening. I know it's a lot of scripture to, to read, but the story is so beautiful, and there's two major themes. One is about a broken life that is forever revived 
because this life connected with Jesus. Did you notice and did you hear the story after she had this conversation with Jesus that she was so enthusiastic about not only what was happening in her life, but going and telling others about it, that she left her water jar there. The very reason that she had come to that well to draw water, she, in her unbridled enthusiasm, she left that water jar and went back to the people that were in her life so that she could share with enthusiasm the wonder and joy of who Jesus is and what he had done for her. The second is that the, the disciples learn from an expert how to connect a life to Jesus. Did you notice that after he has his conversation with the woman, that when the disciples return, that uh, they, they're being taught about how to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus with others. And more than that, they, they uh, are, are allowed uh, a picture of what this looks like. That learning from the expert, that Jesus is way more concerned, they, they find out, about sharing God's gift of the gospel with people than he is about social convention. You see, when, when the disciples return in verse 27, they, they find Jesus talking to a woman, and that was, that was a bit scandalous in that day. And the, the way that their culture has strict sense of propriety about uh, uh, men and women and the way they interacted if they weren't married and, and so forth. And so no one asked any questions when the disciples returned. Just picture in your mind's eye. They, they returned back. They got into the town to buy food. They, they returned back to, to find Jesus who stayed at the well because he was tired. And they find him talking to this woman. And nobody says anything. They're polite in their their uh, uh, in their interaction, but they sure seem to be thinking things like, "What does this woman want?" or "Why is it that Jesus is talking to a woman like this?" And you can easily imagine their nonverbal communication, the awkwardness when they come up and see Jesus, their teacher talking to her, and it doesn't seem to be right or appropriate. You might even imagine them cutting their eyes at each other, raising their eyebrows, like, what is going on here? But nobody says anything, uh, because they're learning about how to prioritize the gospel even above and beyond social convention. What they're being taught by Jesus is how to be gospel gardeners. And he talks about this, and it's why Jesus has come and encountered this woman. It's uh, it's why uh, Jesus sends disciples uh, later on in, in, in the Gospels, and he would then further on send out 72 others. It's because of this. We, we're called to be gospel gardeners in the sense that, that the good news, the message of Jesus, is primarily spread person to person. It primarily comes person to person. It, it's involved with, with you taking an opportunity and taking being intentional about the people in your life and asking God how he wants to work through you to communicate the good news of the gift of God to these people. It's about you and, and you're inviting people to come to a service together and to hear the gospel. Uh, it's why God sends Philip to the Ethiopian in the book of Acts. It's why God sends Peter to Cornelius. Certainly, God does the drawing, God does the, the inviting, God is the one who sends the Spirit to, to draw a person, but almost always is He will send somebody to communicate the gospel message because it is, is shared and spread primarily person 
to person. So the disciples are learning in this encounter with Jesus and the woman at the well a very important picture and a model for how this type of work is done. One of our key aspects in our vision as a church is that we are to be people who are worshiping together. And part of the, the new calling is to call everybody regularly to be connected together and worship. Right now it's through this virtual format. And one day, hopefully not too far down in the future, we'll be back together again. But we are called also to be growing together, growing spiritually together. And one of the, the aspects that we'll be emphasizing together as a church is the idea of connecting. Connecting with the mission of God and connecting others to a personal relationship with God. To present to them the gift of God. And we learn from Jesus in this passage uh, how to connect others to Jesus like Jesus. So we're focused today on how to connect others to Jesus like Jesus. Does that make sense? In the way that Jesus himself did it. Because we learned some really great principles on how to uh, make an introduction and a connection with people in our lives. Number one is that Jesus, if we're going to connect people to Jesus in the way that Jesus himself connected, we will, we will find ways of using ordinary things in order to describe the extraordinary life that Jesus has to offer. Working with ordinary, daily things in your life to describe the extraordinary life that Jesus offers. You see, when Jesus encounters the woman at the well, he uses the ordinary topic of water to describe this extraordinary gift of God. It was something this woman did every day of her life. They didn't have plumbing, of course, in that day, and you would have to go to draw water. Many places around the world, you still have to go to the local literal watering hole in order to grab water to come home for cooking and drinking and cleaning and washing and all sorts of things. It's a daily, sometimes multiple trips to the well every day. Something she's just so ordinary in her life. And yet Jesus takes this ordinary reality of her life and uses it as a bridge to talk about the extraordinary gift of God. And he talks about it in such a way he calls it living water. He says, I have living water to give to you. And that becomes the transition and the expansion of his communication with her. You see, when, when you're conversing with others, if you want to be intentional about finding ways of connecting them to Jesus, you need to look for ordinary points of connection with them. You need to be on the lookout for moments that, that you can connect with them, uh, looking for common interests that you share, things that are important to this person that you're talking to. Let me give you an example. Maybe you're, you're talking to somebody, and as you've begun to develop a friendship with them, uh, you're having coffee with them, or in these days maybe having a little Zoom meeting, just checking in or calling them on the phone, and you discover that, that, that they have a love of books, and hey, you have a love of books perhaps, and you begin to talk about what you're reading. I, I I might share how I'm reading right now a book called The River of Doubt. It's about Teddy Roosevelt's exploration of one of the uncharted rivers in the Amazon rainforest right after his uh, final uh, disappointment in, in trying to become president uh, again. And it is an amazing story about how they launched out of this river not knowing exactly where it would take them. And once they got on the river, you know what? There was no turning back. 
There was no way they could go back because the journey had already been so long and they had already dispersed of so much of their equipment and supplies. And once they got on this journey, there was no turning back. I could talk about a book like that and a story like that and then I might say, you know, what I love about this story is that it reminds me of a time when I trusted God for this job or uh, for this particular move to a new city or or for my, my particular child's need. And when I began to trust God, I didn't know how it would end, but I followed it all the way through. And man, am I glad that I did And then, you know, you can just pause right there and observe their reaction. And if the reaction is one of curiosity and one of interest, they might lean in and say, well, that is so fascinating. And you might find right in that moment that you have an open door to talk to them more about why Jesus is important to you. But as you're observing their as you're observing what uh, how their response is, that you might notice that they quickly change the subject. They don't want to talk about God or, or go into that direction. You know that that might be a cue to you that uh, you need to leave that simple seed that you've sown into their life and leave it into God's hands. Maybe there's a future opportunity with them. Maybe maybe you'll never have another conversation with them, but somewhere down the line of their life. There's another Christian believer who's going to be sent by God into their life. And they also will offer some uh, connection, some seed sown about uh, their life and faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. And uh, that's how the sort of seed sowing idea works in another person's life. You see, the disciples are learning from Jesus how Jesus offered the gift of God to this woman. You see, when Jesus talks to her, He says, if you only knew the gift of God and who it is who offers you a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So one idea that we learn from Jesus is finding, using ordinary things of life to be a bridge and a connecting point to discussing the extraordinary reality of God in your life. Number two. How do we connect people to Jesus or or look to connect our lives to theirs for the purpose of being able to share with them the great gift of God? Another thing that we we see from Jesus is that he asked questions before providing answers. You notice one one of the very first things that he does to uh, invoke a conversation is just simply asking a question, a very simple question. It wasn't the question, do you know where you'll go if you die tonight? That's an important question, but that's not where Jesus leads. He simply asked, will you give me a drink? Jesus was good at asking questions. To Peter, he says, who do people say that I am? To the two disciples of John the Baptist who decide they want to now follow Jesus, he turns to them and he says, what is it that you guys really want? The parables that Jesus would share are so often filled with questions, provoking thought and understanding and questions for them. Questions, you see, are the highway that guides you to know someone else. Questions are how you learn about them. You see, part of our posture as Christians and trying to share and embody this good news of Jesus is not just to talk and just to share, but it's to actually take an interest in the people that God has placed in your life. And to arrange our lives a little bit more often so that we can actually ask questions of the people that are before us. 
and to, to take a real interest in them because it forces us to slow down. And it reminds us that, that we need to have a genuine a touch with them. Sometimes, you see, we, we want to give answers without first hearing them. And we're seeking, uh, the, the idea is to seek to know them now. When we're dealing with somebody who's struggling, you see, sometimes it can be so tempting to offer a quick corrective. Here's how you can fix this problem in your life. And there certainly can be times for that. But let's not be too quick to that because a corrective in somebody's life that's poorly timed, what happens is that it closes that life more often than it opens it. And so just asking questions to take a genuine interest in the person, to get to know them better. And that's exactly what we see in this conversation, this dialogue that Jesus has with this woman. You see, when you have a chance to encourage this person in front of you, when the moment comes when you have a chance to talk to them, to maybe consider how Jesus could also be important in their life, it's natural for them to begin to ask questions about God. And this is a good thing. And you need not be afraid of the questions people ask. There have been a lot of years in my life where I have felt that I, I don't understand things well enough. And it's at times made me shy to talk to people about Jesus because I've been afraid of the questions that they might ask. And as I've grown in my life and in my faith, I've realized that there are going to be opportunities and moments where I won't have the answers. And there will be moments in your life where people will ask you about God or ask you about Jesus in your life and, and theological questions, sometimes big and deep theological questions, and you won't have the answers. But that's okay, because you can always point them to the Bible. You can always bring them to a friend. Because when someone truly begins to ask questions about Jesus, then God begins to ask questions about them. And this is what happens to the woman at the well. If you only knew the gift of God and who it is who asks you for a drink. You see, Jesus is telling her that he offers the fuller life. And third, this morning, this day, is that we see in Jesus that he neither glosses over nor condemns the brokenness of this woman. It is so important that we neither gloss over and say, ah, oh, what you did is not so bad. Or this, this guilt burden that you carry, do you, don't let it bother you anymore. We need to be careful not to too quickly gloss over that, nor do we condemn the person because of it. You see, Jesus doesn't either. He says, go and call your husband. He's pointing out to her his knowledge of her life. And she comes and she says, well, I have no husband. And he says, yeah, I know. In fact, you've had several husbands along the way. Now the man you're with is not your husband. And he knows, she knows that these relational challenges of her life have not built her up, but they've torn her down and drug her down. You see, your, your goal in connecting others to Jesus is to actually get to the point where you talk about Jesus. There's a song I enjoy listening to not because I enjoy the song so much, but it expresses, I think, the hurt that a lot of people carry in their life. 
It's a song originally made by Nine Inch Nails and uh, redone by Johnny Cash before he died. And here are the lyrics to the song Hurt. Because I think we see in this woman a deep-seated hurt. And this song reminds me a little of that. The song goes, I hurt myself today to see if I still feel. I focus on the pain, the only thing that's real. The needle tears a hole. The old familiar sting Try to kill it all away But I remember everything What have I become? My sweetest friend Everyone I know Goes away in the end And you can have it all My empire of dirt I will let you down I will make you hurt Sisters and brothers, I I'm concerned that in our world, even in our county, in the Bay Area, that we are surrounded by people who hurt, yet hide it. That we are surrounded by people who are hurt with depression and hurt with grief and hurt with alcoholism and hurt with crumbling marriages and hurt with workplace drama and hurt with schoolyard bullying. This is one of the reasons that Jesus calls us to connect others to the gift of God that is found in Him. Because Jesus offers a fuller life. If you're a follower of Jesus today, as you hear my voice, I I want you to know that your life will never be truly satisfied outside of God's will. Do you believe that today? Outside of God's will, your life will never be completely full and satisfying. You see, Jesus talks to his disciples, and he says, uh, they, they say, Jesus, we need to get you some food. Where have you gotten food? Jesus says, I, my food, the thing that nourishes me most, is doing the will of my Father. And then he talks to them about the sower and the seed, and the sower and the harvest, And he talks about how important it is for us to be engaged in that. He he talks about uh, the sowing and the reaping and and never knowing what part of someone else's journey that God will have you play. And I wonder if part of what may hold us back at times, and we may desire or think, you know, God wants me to talk to people about Jesus, but we're reluctant to do it, and then we feel guilty for not doing it. Have you ever felt that way? I sure have. I don't think it's intended to be a guilt burden. I think it's intended to be a joy journey with Jesus. But we sow a whole lot more seeds than crops will be reaped in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Farmers know that there's a seed to harvest ratio. You sow a whole lot more seeds than you harvest at the end of the season. And so it is spiritually. The bulk of our calling with those who are hurting around us is to be sowing seeds of the gospel. It's to be pointing people to Jesus. It's to be talking to people about why Jesus is important to you. And so I invite you today, if you don't remember why Jesus is important to you, won't you take this Thanksgiving week and recount what God has done and to count your many blessings And as you give thanks to Him, would you invite Him to replant in your heart an energy and an intention and a motivation 
to be a person who goes out and sows the seed of the gospel. If the people around you who hurt only knew the gift of God, and how are they to know unless someone is sent? And you, brother and sister, just like me, are to be co-workers with God because God is making His appeal through you and through me. You see, the gospel primarily goes through the sown seeds of your interactions, person to person, people will see and hear about the gospel. Instead of perhaps being so focused on how, what will I say and how will I answer these questions and how do I broach the subject, and uh, instead of asking so much about that, maybe the better approach as you interact with somebody, maybe there's one person in your life at your workplace or in your neighborhood that God is laying on your heart, and maybe instead of focusing so much on what to say, maybe maybe we begin to focus on, I wonder, I wonder what part of their spiritual journey God might want me to play in their life. I wonder what seed, what part of the chain that I'm going to play, what link in their chain, if this is their birth, and this is their, their moment of salvation, and maybe there's a hundred links on that chain that leads them from their birth moment to their new birth moment in Christ. And, and maybe instead of thinking, what, what will I say, and how will I, and getting so caught up in that, what if more of us just ask God, how will I be a link in their chain to help guide them and point them to Jesus, to connect them to you? I wonder... I wonder what their relationship to Jesus is, if at all. I wonder what their thoughts about Christian faith are, if they have any. What their assumptions about church life is, because they watched a few movies. Maybe, maybe they've had a past church experience, and it's been really, really hard. And they weren't treated so well. The point isn't to, to figure it all out, but it's to be engaged in seed sowing in their life. And that's part of where our church is moving in the future. Is to be people together who support each other in doing this very task that God has called us to be and to do. So that, like this woman, I love how the story ends. You see, it's a story about this woman's life change, but it's also a story teaching the disciples about how to uh, go and share the gift of God of Jesus with the world. You see, the woman, she was so uh, excited with her unbridled enthusiasm, she leaves her water jar at the well. She goes back to her town. What does she say? Come and see the one who's told me everything I ever did. It is such a, a fantastic response and a wonderful conclusion to the story. And so many people from that village, they began to believe in Jesus because I think they saw something so real and different in her life. And then some of them came out and began to spend time themselves with Jesus, and they also came to faith with Him. Whether you see the harvest, or you're just diligent day after day, month after month, year after year, sowing seeds of the gospel, being a gospel gardener. You're going to do a whole lot more seed sowing, and that's part of our life. Not as a burden, but as a joy to see what God is doing. Jesus says, lift up your eyes, for the harvest fields are ripe. 
people around us, right where we live, who are hurting and hiding, and they need to be shown the good gift of God. This is why we're praying one by one, so that we might have our eyes opened. As you would pray one by one, you are involved in this great work of the Spirit, in these unseen realms, where you will choose one neighborhood, probably your own neighborhood, and one time a week, you're going to take a few minutes, as long as you want, but at least a few minutes, and you're going to pray seriously for what God wants to do in that neighborhood. How God wants to heal the hurts in that neighborhood. How God wants to repair relationships in that, that neighborhood. How God might want to work through you to share the gift of God with someone there. Can you imagine a hundred of us, a hundred and fifty of us, taking this task seriously and beginning to really pray to have our eyes open for the harvest field that's around us, where we can glory in what God has done, not so much in a strategy, not so much in how good we are, but how good God is. May it be so, dear, beloved friends, for the sake of the gospel, let us pray. Lord Jesus, we pray today that your spirit would flow in us and through us. We pray that, that you would stir our hearts to be engaged in communicating the gospel and simply telling people why Jesus is important to me, why he has given me living water, and why he can offer that living water to them as well. God, I know that our conversations will not be perfect. I know that we are fearful at times. I know that we, we worry about the questions that will be asked that we cannot answer. I know that we sometimes worry and wonder, if, what if I mess it up or fumble over my, my words or, or whatever it is, God, I pray that you would help Take that away from us and help us to simply uh, step out in faith and trust you and to watch what your Spirit will do with a willing heart. God, give us a willing heart. Open our eyes. Open our eyes to the harvest field. And may we rejoice as you would come and make your harvest. Help us. Help us, God, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.